Chapter 11 of The Princess and the Plowman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mrs. L. Sid. The Princess and the Plowman by Florence Morse Kingsley. Chapter 11. Jerome Chantry made his appearance at his uncle's office that same afternoon, cool, bland, and immaculately groomed, as was his wont. Judge Chantry greeted him with a certain acrid displeasure, which did not escape the shrewd eyes of the younger man. "'You're feeling all cut up about this matter of Mary's, I see,' he observed without circumlocution, and seated himself with easy composure. "'What do you know about it, sir?' demanded the elder Chantry sharply. "'Nothing, except that she is married,' replied Jerome. "'I chanced to see the notice in the paper this morning.' "'Why didn't you warn me the affair was on?' he added in an injured tone. "'You're a fool, Jerome,' observed the judge trenchantly, but without personal animosity. "'I didn't think it of you.' "'I didn't think it of myself,' returned the other. "'But I guess you're right. "'I was waiting for her to grow up,' he went on ruefully. "'There seemed to be plenty of time.' "'Well, sir, while you were so patiently waiting for the young person to grow up,' She has not been idle. For one thing, she has decided to found a university for women in Hawaii. For another, and in pursuance of the first scheme, she has married a farmer down on the coast, who agreed in advance of the ceremony to leave her perfectly free to do as she likes. She is now at my house, where— No! exclaimed Jerome incredulously. Where she is merely waiting for me to convert her securities into cash, proceeded the judge imperturbably. Immediately thereafter, she proposes to set sail for Hawaii, accompanied only by a young woman of her acquaintance, aged twenty or thereabouts. The pair of them will then proceed to revolutionize the customs of centuries, as they have obtained in the Sandwich Islands, and incontinently transform a parcel of yellow-skinned dreaming voluptuaries into strenuous college students, after the pattern of Wells Mar. This is, in brief, Mrs. Gent's program as she outlined it to me this morning. "'And where, if I may ask, is the accommodating husband, meanwhile?' inquired Jerome with an appreciative grin. "'On his farm, I am led to believe,' returned the judge dryly. After the wedding ceremony, the young man accompanied his bride and her maid of honor as far as the hedge, where he politely bade them good day. Mrs. Gent is, as I have intimated, stopping at my house for the present.' Jerome stared. You don't mean it, uncle, he said at last. Why, the fellow must be a fool. I'm not so sure of that, replied the other meditatively. I'm inclined at present to set him down as a remarkably clever sort of person. What is he after? Her money? By no means. He has expressly waived all claims on the property. Jerome shrugged his shoulders. He was making a rapid review of the case. Look here, uncle, he said at last. Granted that I've put off my courtship overlong, is there any real reason why I should regard this empty ceremony between Mary and this fellow Ghent as an insuperable bar to my wishes? Why, since you spoke to me of her, I have always regarded her as mine. That is to say, I fully intended to marry her as soon as she was fairly out of the bread-and-butter period. You've been aware of it all along, sir. The marriage might be annulled, certainly, agreed the judge composedly. Perhaps, I should say, it might be, if the unqualified consent of both parties to it can be obtained. 
Jerome Chantry eyed his elderly relative suspiciously. You said the farmer chap agreed to leave her perfectly free, he inquired. I have a signed statement to that effect. And Mary proposes to go to Hawaii on this wild goose chase with some schoolgirl? She's anxious to start tomorrow. You'll not let her go. I cannot prevent it, as you ought to be well aware without asking. However, the delays incident to a transference of the estate will stand in the way of her immediate departure. Jerome's greenish eyes were riveted upon the toe of his polished boot. He set his thin lips in a determined line. Then I shall regard the affair as practically settled, he said, after a thoughtful silence. The marriage is no marriage at all. I shall pay no attention to it, further than to obtain from Mary her consent to its setting aside. That will be all that is necessary as a preliminary to an annulment, acquiesced the judge blandly. I will, however, withhold my congratulations for the present. You think Mary will refuse, I see, observed Jerome astutely. But why should she? I'm no stage villain, sir, to break up a marriage that is a marriage. But I don't give a fig for this preposterous Hawaiian education scheme, and it's clear that you don't. I cannot say that I deem Mary's plan entirely practicable, said Judge Chantry cheerfully. Both young women are far too inexperienced in the ways of the world to attempt to formulate so important an educational scheme unaided. Moreover, I hardly think the native females of the Sandwich Islands require a college of high grade just at present. The demand for such an institution, in short, does not seem to justify the project. Then you think well of my idea, Uncle? You approve my plans? Jerome twisted about in his chair as he put these questions with manifest anxiety. The judge gazed on his nephew speculatively, his shrewd eyes dwelling upon the portly, middle-aged good looks of the other with a gleam of something like subdued amusement. Jerome's colorless, rather flaccid face flushed uncomfortably under the scrutiny. He fidgeted uneasily in his place and passed one smooth white hand over the sleek contour of his head, whereon the hair was growing conspicuously thin. "'Well?' he urged impatiently. "'You ask me if I can approve your plans,' said the other, with exceeding gentleness of tone and manner. He was still studying his nephew's face with disconcerting attention. "'As a magistrate, I could never approve or think well of an attempt to tamper with the sacredness of the marriage relation. "'In this particular case, a most peculiar one, I admit,' I am inclined to neither approve nor to censure an effort to, er, place matters on their proper and right basis. I should prefer to reserve judgment until later. Jerome Chantry left his uncle's presence with the light step of a younger man. His somewhat halting admiration for Mary had just received a tremendous impetus. He was at present inclined to consider himself as very much in love with her, and the unmentioned loss of her fortune, which he had for several years regarded as completely within his grasp, mingled obscurely with his thoughts, coloring them to a degree of life almost startlingly real. It occurred to him for the first time that Mary had treated him with positive injustice. He had been patient, kind, not over-insistent during the years of her college life, he reminded himself as he hurried along. But surely she had understood his wishes with regard to herself, and these wishes, heretofore so irresolute as to have contented themselves with occasional calls, boxes of confectionery, and limited orders at the florists, suddenly assumed heroic proportions. 
Jerome, by rapid degrees, was led to realize himself a much-abused man, almost heartbroken, in fact. He had been plunged into a most unpleasant predicament, he told himself, with well-simulated indignation. But he would have his rights yet. No pale shadow of a marriage should stand in his way. He would rend with such cobweb bonds, with force if need be. He was determined, nay, impassioned, and she should know it without loss of time. Arriving at Judge Chantry's house, he believed himself to be very much in earnest. He was likewise uncomfortably and unbecomingly warm. The afternoon post brought two letters to Mary, both addressed to Mrs. Hugh Gint. She held them in her hand unopened, dreamily considering the unfamiliar name. It was strong and fine, she slowly decided. He had said she might bear the name that pleased her best. This name pleased her. From henceforth it should be hers, unless— The disquieting words with which her guardian had closed their interview of the morning recurred to her mind. But no, he would never consent to an annulment of the marriage. She was quietly sure of this. Presently it occurred to her to wonder who the writer of the second letter might be. One, she saw, was from Felice. Felice's letter was delicately blue, and breathed a faint aroma of violets. It contained many pages of thick paper, for it was doubly stamped. The other was square and thin and white, the address written in plain, small characters with very black ink. She was impressed anew with the strength and distinction of the name. It is like him, she thought. Then she opened the letter with haste. She glanced at the signature at the foot of the one closely written page and drew a quick breath of wonder. My dear Mary, it began, you will be surprised, perhaps, at receiving a letter from me, but I shall not ask you to answer it, and it will take only a few minutes of your tomorrow. I am writing this at midnight on our wedding day. I meant to have told you what I have to say before you left my house, Mary, but somehow my tongue was loath to break the charm of the silence that fell between us at the last. You asked me today how I could promise what I did. You did not promise, Mary. You were honest and true, as you must always be, and I did not answer you. But now I want to tell you that in that hour I pledged myself to you, body and soul, as a man would swear allegiance to his queen, asking nothing in return, save that she remain his queen. I want you to know beyond peradventure that you have a subject, Mary, loyal and true, I am sworn to your service in every thought and fiber of my being. You may never need me in your far island home. You may never wish to see me again. But if the day comes when I can serve you or defend you against any evil or annoyance, and that day may come, I want you to remember this. Till then and always, Mary, I am faithfully yours. Hugh Gent She read the letter slowly, lingering over every word and phrase. Then she sighed. I should have liked to answer this letter, she said to the surrounding silence. But he does not ask me to write to him. He expects me to go away. After a time during which her eyes rested uninterruptedly upon his letter, she folded it and replaced it in its envelope with trembling hands. Something intangible seemed to emanate from the insensate paper, which conveyed strange intimations to her blood. She became dimly aware of a peculiar, frightened bounding of her pulses, as though some tremendous, undreamed-of vista of past and future had opened suddenly before her eyes. Unwritten meanings out of the infinite heart of a man pierced her. 
yesterdays and tomorrows stretching a shining pathway from the crumbling instant gleamed before her bewildered gaze for a moment she struggled astonished in unsounded deeps beyond thought beyond reason then neither thinking nor reasoning she reached again for the familiar shallows of girlhood the soft footfall of the well-trained servant who presided over the imposing entrance to judge chantry's house recalled her more completely to herself he was proffering a card for her inspection mr jerome chantry she read and frowned with vague displeasure you may show him in here peters she said and waited angrily rosy for her visitor's appearance mr jerome chantry came in immediately with the light step and smiling assurance of a man who enters a foreign country well fortified with guide-book information i'm delighted to see you mary bowing low over her hand i had begun to think we were never going to meet again i have been so unfortunate you know in always finding you out when i called yes assented the girl shrinking a little under the fervent and undisguised admiration of his eyes he had grown stouter she reflected to the point of showing a dimple in one smooth-shaven cheek mary was one of those women who regard a dimple in a man's cheek as little less than a crime mr chantry continued to gaze at her with smiling audacity he appeared to divine her antipathy and to enjoy it as one enjoys the petulant dislike of a small child secure in his ultimate triumph i didn't know you were here mary he went on his voice sinking to a caressing murmur till uncle told me just now her eyes questioned him hostilely mr chantry's smiling face became suddenly overcast with gloom yes he said plaintively uncle told me that you were married do you know i call that very cruel of you mary of course you've secured your fortune all right but why did you marry that farmer fellow had you forgotten me mary i should like you to call me by my name said mary icily do you know what it is he sighed don't ask me to call you by another man's name to-day he begged i can't give up all that i've thought and hoped so suddenly after i've seen your husband perhaps i shall begin to realize what has happened you will not see him at all said mary conclusively mr chantry appeared visibly embarrassed uncle was saying something of the sort he said in a low voice but i why mary i couldn't believe it i refused to believe that you could be led or driven into marrying a man you did not love and who did not love you that is why tenderly i have waited so long and patiently i was hoping that some day you might realize my he paused apparently overcome by his thronging emotions stop said mary breathlessly you you have no right to speak to me in this way there is no man went on mr chantry strongly who respects the bond of a true marriage more than i but this mere ghost of a marriage with a man who cares so little for you that he allows you to go from him without a single effort to hold you i do not respect tell me this one thing mary did he ask you to stay with him no faltered mary he asked nothing of me nothing in the letter which he wrote to your guardian on the day of your marriage he expressly repeated what you have just acknowledged you are free mary entirely so and i entreat you to realize your freedom for my sake the eloquent mr chantry was entirely unprepared for what followed 
Mary had arisen and was regarding him with an expression which he fatuously took for one of surprised and even pleased attention. She heard him to the end, then, without a word, turned and left the room. He heard her hurrying feet upon the stair. "'Well, upon my word, little Mary!' he ejaculated with an indulgent smile. On the whole, Jerome felt very well pleased with himself as he walked slowly away. He had effectually broken through the barriers of her reserve. He had declared himself unmistakably. The rest, he felt assured, would be easy. End of chapter 11